Let us pray. Speak this day through your holy word, we pray. And may we be not just hearers of your word, but doers as well. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Purpose. On purpose. Higher purpose. Having a purpose to serve a purpose. One's purpose in life. Purpose is the difference between delight and drudgery. Purpose is the difference between humans and animals. Purpose is the difference between life and annihilation. Purpose is the difference between heaven and hell. Am I being dramatic or grandiose? I don't think so. Am I being hyperbolic or letting my rhetoric run away with me? Absolutely not. Actually, I'm being literal. Or as we need to say these days, when literal can mean literally anything, I am being literally literal. What I'm saying is not a new thought, not even a Christian thought. The Greek philosophers, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle were very concerned about purpose, and they identified the purpose of its, of a thing, its end or its telos, as they would say in Greek. They identified the purpose of a thing in its nature. When we talk about nature, we mean that for which a thing was made. It's easy to understand the nature or the purpose or the end or the telos of a piano, for example. The piano was invented around 1700 by Bartolomeo Cristofori. In the beginning, it was called a pianoforte, which just means soft, loud. Because this instrument could play both soft and loud, unlike its predecessor, the harpsichord, which could only play at one volume. So, in some important sense, the nature or purpose or end or telos of a piano is to be able to play music either softly or loudly. And if your piano has its pedals stuck and always plays loudly or always plays softly, you would say, that's a lousy piano. It's not fulfilling its nature or its purpose or its end or its telos. Virtue and goodness, according to Plato and Aristotle, is a matter of fulfilling or reaching or accomplishing our purpose. Which is why it's never a bad idea to ask ourselves, what is my purpose in this life? Am I fulfilling the purpose that God has created for me? Oh yeah, did I mention that our purpose is given to us by God? We don't make ourselves, and that means we don't get to make up our own purposes. We didn't invent our own nature. God is the potter, and we are the clay. Now, because we are fallen creatures with uh, free will, we often revolt against God's plans. We often try to invent our own purposes, Yes, we are creative. That's part of what makes us in the image of God. But our freedom is not unlimited, and we do not create ourselves or this world ex nihilo. If in God's all-wise providence you were born tone-deaf and without a voice box, you will not be singing in the Metropolitan Opera, no no matter how much you love Puccini. We are made by God. We are not self-created. There is a givenness to our lives and to this world given by God himself. And we need to have the mature humility to receive that givenness as God's good gift. God's purpose for us and for this world will be accomplished. And whenever we pray, 
thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We are asking that God's purposes, not our purposes, but that God's purposes be realized and the sooner the better. When you get up in the morning, do you think, I have a purpose for being here today? Do you think, I have things that I need to do, things that are required for me to reach my purpose in this life? I hope you do. One of the great things about having a God-given purpose in life is that everything that you do that is aligned with that purpose is blessed by God and it will last forever. Sometimes in this life, it seems like we're working and working and all of our hard work doesn't count for anything. Sometimes it seems like we're working and working and building sandcastles only to see them washed away with the tide. But when our labors align with the will of God, with God's purposes, then everything that we do finds a permanent place in the eternal kingdom of God. No effort is lost and no struggle is wasted. In Matthew 6, 19 and 20, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. God has put us on planet earth. In fact, he puts you in that pew today for some purpose. And that purpose was thought up in the mind of God. We don't always understand it, but we know that his purposes for us are good. And we know that they are eternal. And we know that they are what count And that what's beautiful. And that's a good place to be. So what about Jesus Christ? What was his purpose? Jesus, of course, was not created. Jesus was from the beginning with God. His purpose is a purpose that God gave to himself eternally. But what was Jesus' purpose in his earthly life? As hard as it might be to believe Jesus' purpose was to die on a cross. His death on a cross was not a failure in his purpose. That's what he came to do. Jesus was born to die for you. Let me stitch this together with a bit of scripture so that we can see this truth in context. We read in 1 John 3, 8, Quote, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And we read last week in John 18, 37, Jesus said to Pilate, For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to witness to the truth. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when it became unavoidably clear to Jesus that his own passion and his own death were coming, Jesus says in prayer to the Father, What shall I do? What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, for this purpose have I come. Father, glorify your name. The hour, of course, was the hour of his own death. And Jesus knew that he had come to earth for that hour. And finally, in our reading from the Gospel of John this morning, in which we have depicted for us the actual crucifixion of Jesus and two other people, we see that the scene draws to a close with Jesus' final words from the cross where we read, It is finished. Now in Greek, that little sentence is actually just one word, to telestai, 
And that word tetelestai is the past perfect verbal form of the noun telos, which is the Greek word for purpose. So what Jesus is saying, Jesus' last word from the cross is that his purpose has been perfectly completed. Jesus came for a purpose. And with his dying breath, Jesus affirmed that that purpose was satisfied and fulfilled by dying on a cross. Now we judge a a person or an animal or a plant or a man-made thing by how well it satisfies or fulfills its purpose. Last Sunday afternoon with no time left on the clock and the game tied and the Philadelphia, the, the Philadelphia Eagles rookie kicker, Jake Elliott, stepped onto the field and he nailed a franchise record 61-yard field goal to win the game for the hometown favorites. Now, I know that some people think that a certain not-worth-mentioning sideshow on Twitter or on the field during the playing of the national anthem are what that game was about, but the purpose of professional sports is to play hard. And to entertain those who are watching, the purpose of an athlete is to deliver what they are paid to do. And last Sunday, Jake Elliott proved that he's a good athlete. Because when the pressure was on, he fulfilled his purpose. Now, the hard truth is that none of us entirely fulfills our purpose in this life. The best that we can hope for is to up the percentages a bit when we actually do what we're supposed to be doing. But in the case of Jesus, when he came to the end of his life, knowing what his purpose was, with his final breath, he is able to say, I have fulfilled my purpose. A perfect life. A life which could not be improved upon. In his last words from the cross, recorded for us in John 19.30, Jesus says, it is finished. It is accomplished. The purpose for which I was sent into this world has been fulfilled. There is nothing left to do. So what is it that the death of Jesus does for us? What was accomplished? Matt Perman who works as part of John Piper's team, identifies six things that are accomplished by the death of Jesus. Number one, expiation. The word in Greek is hilasmos. It means to remove sin and guilt. Christ's death washes away our sin and guilt. In John 1.29, John the baptizer calls out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's expiation. In Hebrews 9.26, we read, Christ appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's expiation. Number two, propitiation. The word in Greek is hilasterion, which means to remove uh, the wrath And to displace the wrath with God's favor. Expiation means to remove the sin. And propitiation means to remove the wrath. In 1 John 4, 10 it says, In this is love. 
Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Number three, reconciliation. Expiation removes our sin. Propitiation removes God's wrath. Reconciliation removes our alienation. The Garden of Eden was how God had intended things to be between us and him. But then sin enters the world and God and people have a hard time getting along. Christ's death removes the alienation and reconciles us to God. Romans 5, 10, and 11 says, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more so, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Number four, redemption. Sin is slavery. And the way out of slavery is to be ransomed, for there to be a redemption price paid for us. Through the death of Christ, we are redeemed and ransomed and released from three things. Number one, the curse of the law. Number two, the guilt of sin. And number three, the power of sin. Galatians 3, 13 and 14 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Dying a miserable death on a cross was an accursed thing. And Jesus bore that curse so that we could be free of it. Romans 3.24 reminds us that Christ redeems us from the guilt of our own sin. For we are justified by the gift of his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And 1 Peter 1.18 and 19 reminds us that we are not only redeemed from the guilt of sin, but we're also released from the power of sin by the blood of Christ. We read, quote, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. Redemption is a price that is paid to free a slave. The Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 6.20, You have been bought with a price. Number five, the defeat of the powers of darkness. By his death, Jesus crushed Satan. This was the prophecy made way back in the Garden of Eden when God said to the serpent who deceived Eve, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Satan struck at the heel of Christ, but Christ crushed the head of the evil one. In Colossians 2, 13 through 15, Paul writes, You who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. That's Paul's phrase for demonic and satanic powers. And put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Christ. The only weapon that Satan can use against us is unforgiven sin. Think about that for one second. The only weapon that Satan can use against us is unforgiven sin. He wants us to sin. And then he wants our sin to remain unforgiven because sin drives a wedge between us and God and he desperately wants 
to separate us from our creator. Satan loves to draw us into sin and then to beat us up with our own guilt. What Satan would love to do above all else is to convince you that God cannot love you because you are too sinful. But if we believe in Christ, Christ takes this weapon of unforgiven sin away from Satan. He forgives our trespasses. He cancels our debts. And he nails all of that garbage to a cross. When Christ died bearing our sin, Satan's most powerful weapon also died. And finally, number six, Jesus did all of this by dying as our substitute. Substitution is the heart of the atonement. Jesus, with his dying breath, could say, it is finished because he had died in our place. That's what it means when we read in Romans 5, 8, Christ died for us. And in Galatians 2.20, that Christ gave himself for us. It's what Isaiah meant in the passage that we read last week, which told us that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The Lord has caused the iniquities of all of us to fall on him. In 1 Peter 3.18 we read, For Christ died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. And that was accomplished at Calvary. In 2 Corinthians 5.21 we read, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. That was accomplished at Calvary. In his final words from the cross, Jesus says, It is finished. Everything I came to do has been accomplished. My purpose on earth has been fulfilled. Christ's work is done. He had a perfect career. He completely fulfilled his purpose in life. So how are we doing? How are we doing in our movement toward fulfilling God's purpose in our lives? Our purpose is to bring God glory. God formed us and he made us and he created us for his glory. And for his own glory he redeemed us and he called us out of bondage. And he did this so that he might be our God and we might be his people. Is that our story? Have you been redeemed? Did God call you back to himself out of some wasteland? Can you, along with Sam Fluter, stand up and say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of sinners, and I receive and depend upon Him alone for my salvation. Believe it or not, being able to do that is at the core of your purpose. Being able to say that, honestly, is at the core of what you were designed to do. We are not fully who we are supposed to be outside of the will of God. We are not fully who we are supposed to be outside of the life of Christ. And God's purpose is wired into us. Into all 37.2 trillion cells in our bodies. We can't fight it. It's what every human being has been called to do. To acknowledge God. To know our creator. To own him as Lord. And to bend a knee to Jesus. Purpose is the difference between delight and drudgery. Purpose is the difference between humans and animals. 
Purpose is the difference between life and annihilation. Purpose is the difference between heaven and hell. Our purpose has been given to us by God who created us. And our calling is to live into God's purpose for our lives. To know his favor and his blessing. To receive Christ's atoning death as covering our sins so we can enter into relationship with Almighty God, our creator and our maker. My prayer for us this day is that we might live in the light of that truth now and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we do call on your name this day and pray that you continue to be with us as we worship you. And we thank you for sending your son into this world. We thank you that his life was lived perfectly right up to the end. We thank you that in his death, your purposes for him were accomplished and your purposes for the world were established. Lord God, we pray this day that we might have the faith to cling to Christ as he's been offered to us. We ask this favor in Jesus' name. Amen.